to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. It's been so good to get to know these confirmants over the past few weeks and uh, celebrate what God is doing in their lives as they claim their faith for themselves. Last week was so thrilling to have close to 3,000 folks in our Holy Week services. It was a joy to come together and celebrate you know, the meaning of Easter and the hope we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we continue to let that light shine into our lives in the subsequent weeks. I want you to know that after this service next Sunday, our mission partner in Kenya, Zabulon Curia, is going to be here in town. We've spent about three years trying to get him back uh, to Roswell. And so he's going to be in Alderman Hall, and he's going to be sharing about what God is doing in Kenya through our partnership Um, and all the ministry that's happening. You can hear about maybe joining a mission team to go to Kenya to see it firsthand for ourselves. And Zablin, if you've never met him, he is just an inspiring person that just brings so much hope and life, and you will not regret taking an hour out of your time to go be with them. And that'll be in Alderman Hall after the service next Sunday. Well, today we're going to begin a new sermon series that I've titled, The Hidden God. Some of the questions that we're going to reflect on in the coming weeks are, how can I know that God is present if God doesn't feel present? Are there ways that we can learn to see God in the world and in our lives? What encouragement can we take from the stories in scripture where God is hidden for our own lives? And today we're gonna look at just such a scripture. It's Genesis 28, we're gonna read verses 10 through 17. So let's open our hearts our ears and our minds for the word of the Lord. Then Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. And to your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious, loving God, we ask in the next few moments, you might be our teacher, that you might speak a word to our hearts that only you can speak. Lord, we know that if, you're, if we're honest with ourselves and with one another, we all wrestle with times of doubt, times of skepticism, times of despair. And so, Lord, I pray that we might 
Get some wisdom from the story of Jacob of how we might have eyes to see the hidden God when God is hidden from our sight. We ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in our sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. How good are you at noticing things? Several years ago, I uh, conducted an experiment testing people's observation skills. I wanted to do something that was in plain sight, but also something that wasn't completely obvious. I wanted to see if people would notice. I came up with all sorts of ideas. I said, well, maybe I could, I could wear my shoes on the wrong feet. I said, nah, that would hurt after a while. I said, oh, maybe, maybe I won't brush my teeth in the morning. But that sounded just gross. I thought about dyeing my hair blonde like I did in high school and was still paying back for all those pictures that are out there. I thought, no, that's too obvious. But then it hit me. What if I changed the side of my head that I part my hair on? Yeah. I mean, for years, as long as I can remember, I've parted my hair from right to left. Now I was going to switch from left to right. I tried it out. I looked in the mirror. I didn't even recognize myself. I was sure everyone would notice. So Monday came. I got up, took a shower, and I parted it from left to right. I looked in the mirror, and I thought I looked like an alien. It was incredible. So then I go to Starbucks like I did every morning. And I go up to the barista and I make the order I do every morning. I want a grande, blonde rose, black coffee. She looks at me. I kind of raise my eyebrows. Nothing. I was defeated. I went to work. And I began to pop my head into people's offices. And I stayed a little longer than I usually do, which means I stayed a long time. And I would kind of raise my eyebrows and then kind of gesture with my head. Nothing. I came home from work. Not even my family recognized this major transformation in my life. I went an entire week tilting my head, gesturing with my head. Would anybody notice? Nothing. (laughs) That got me thinking. Jeff, would you notice if somebody changed the side of their head that they parted their hair on? How much do I fail to notice in the world? How much slips by my faculties of observation when it comes to my friends, when it comes to my family, when it comes to my flock, when it comes to my faith in God? What is right in front of me that I fail to notice? Am I like Jacob? Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. In our passage today, we find Jacob on the run. The story goes back several chapters to Genesis 12, when Abraham receives the covenant promises that God makes him. The primary of two forms. The first is that I'm going to give you land. That's why it's called the promised land. 
And second, I'm going to make your descendants greatly numerous. And so Abraham and Sarah, then they have a son named Isaac. And then Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau is the older son, the older brother. And as Isaac gets elderly in years, it comes time for him to give the blessing out. The blessing of birthright and the family blessing of inheritance. Well, Jacob was known as a trickster and a schemer. And so he wants to get a hold of these blessings. And so one day, Esau comes in from a long day of hunting and he didn't have anything, he was famished. And Jacob happened to be making a pot of stew. And Esau says, give me some of your stew. And Jacob says, I'll give it to you if you give me your birthright. And Esau gets kind of dramatic and he says, well, I'm going to die otherwise so you can have it. And he sells his birthright for a little porridge. Later on in the story, Esau was known as being quite hairy. And so Jacob dresses up and disguises himself as Esau. He puts animal skins on his arms so they're hairy. And he goes into his father Isaac and he pretends to be Esau. And there Isaac blesses Jacob when he thinks he's blessing Esau, but he blesses Jacob. When Esau finds out about this, he is furious. And he makes a vow that he's going to hunt Jacob down and kill him. And so Jacob, Jacob goes on the run. And in our passage today, it's the first time we see Jacob by himself. He schemed. He's pulled tricks to get what he wanted. But he's alienated his friends and his family, and now he's by himself. And he finds himself in the wilderness under the night sky. And I can only imagine the questions he begins to ask himself. What have I done? What has become of my life? What has happened? And Jacob finally dozes off to sleep. And then Jacob has a vision that will bring joy to millions of classic rock fans down through the ages. He sees a stairway to heaven with angels ascending and descending on it. And in his vision, God restates the promise that he'd made to Jacob's grandfather Abraham. He makes it to Jacob again. He says, I will give you land and I will make your descendants a great people. And then Jacob wakes up from his slumber. And he says, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. Have you ever had this experience? To realize there was something in front of you the whole time and you didn't notice it? It can be quite shocking. I've known people who were friends with their future spouse, but didn't know they were in love with them for years. Have you ever seen the movie When Harry Met Sally? They have all these videos, these vignettes of people being interviewed saying, I lived around the corner, we shopped at the same grocery store with the person I was in love with, I just didn't know it. They were in this place and I did not know it. Or maybe you're somebody that's had a talent that you didn't know about only until later maybe somebody pointed it out or you recognized you had a gift or a skill. I have a friend who's in a band called A Stranger and a Friend. And he had, over the years, released various records and whatnot, but one time he was in church, and he heard this woman singing behind him. She was in her mid-20s. 
And he was so inspired by her voice after the service, he went up to her and he says, I couldn't help but just be, I was blown away by your voice. Would you want to start a band with me? She said, really, I have a good voice? He was like, how have you gotten to your mid-20s and you didn't recognize what a beautiful singing voice you had? It could be a future spouse or a friend that you didn't notice. It could be, it could be a talent that you haven't recognized that you have. It could be something that you didn't think had any value but is of great worth. It could be God. And you stand with Jacob. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. This raises an epistemological problem. Epistemology just has to do with answering the question, how do we know things? To frame the problem, it might be helpful to know of the Jahari window. It's probably most famously referred to back in the run-up to the Iraq war when the United States Secretary of Defense, Donald Rumsfeld, was holding a press conference. And he kind of went and described it. He said, there are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns. The ones we don't know, we don't know. I love that. There are things we know we know. There are things we know we don't know. But what about the things we don't know we don't know? And when it comes to God, like Jacob, we rely on God revealing God's self to us. And so we can say with Jacob, the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. We believe in a hidden God. Most people fall on a theological spectrum between two poles. On one pole, these people, they know who God is, they can describe him, they fully understand him, they've got him wrapped in a nice little box with a bow on it. There he is. On the other end of the spectrum, they think, I don't know if there's a God, I don't understand anything, I don't see God. I fall somewhere in the middle. One of the reasons I do is I've learned from my theolo- one of my theological teachers, Blaise Pascal. Blaise was born in the 17th century France. As a teenager, he published many scientific papers, was an inventor all of his life. He designed Paris's first public transportation system. He laid the foundations for calculus, if you've ever heard of Pascal's integer. He designed the first mechanical calculator. At the age of 31, he had a profound experience with God. He came to Christian faith. He referred to this night, this moment that he had as the night of fire. It was not dissimilar to the night Jacob had in the desert. But before Pascal died at the age of 39, he'd been collecting aphorisms and writing sayings. He was collecting a book that he wanted to make about the tenability of the Christian faith against the skepticism of the Enlightenment. And when he died, they were collected. And they're called the Ponces. And one of them are very profound because they refer to what we're talking about. He says this, what can be seen on earth indicates neither the total absence nor the manifest presence of divinity, but the presence of a hidden God. Everything bears this stamp. Pascal says, we believe in a hidden God. We can see the traces of God in nature, beautiful sunrise, a mountain hike. But God is never entirely manifest to us. 
Pascal has an interesting theory of epistemology that I found very helpful. He says on the first level, we come to know things through our bodily experience because we are embodied creatures. We can taste food. We can play sports. We can play an instrument. We can do these things with our bodies. We see, we know them. But we have to rise above that to the life of the mind. He says in the life of the mind, we can know abstract ideas. We can read a book, solve a math problem, memorize the periodic table. We live the life of the mind, which raises us above just being mere beasts. But he says you need to ascend even higher. And he says this is the life of the heart. He says only by learning to see with your heart can you see God. And the heart speaks in the language of love. Only when you see and receive the love of God, you begin to see God. See, we can never fully sense God with our bodies. We can never fully understand God with our, with our minds. But we can see and meet God with our hearts. And so in the language of Scripture, we have to have our eyes of our hearts sharpened. This is what I've come to call spiritual, having spiritual magic eyes. Do you remember those magic eye puzzles? Well, those of a certain age, those magic eye puzzles back that were in the 1990s that were like in every mall in America. And you would be just innocently going to Foot Locker and there would be a crowd like gathered blocking your way. And they would all be looking at a fuzzy picture or fuzzy poster. And you'd kind of peek over and you'd say, what is that? And they would say, just look. After about two hours have gone by, I could never see it. It was infuriating. I felt like a total failure. Eventually, a little kid would condescendingly say, it's a schooner. You're like, oh. But to be able to see from what people tell me, you had to stop. You had to focus. You had to learn to look. Over the past couple months during Lent, we've looked at various spiritual practices that down through the ages, Christians have said, have helped them see, feel, and understand God. Things like contemplation and prayer, service, the study of scripture, simplicity, fasting. These kinds of practices help sharpen the eyes of our hearts so that they can see. And when we do learn to see, it's important that we share those experiences with others. It's important that we let people know that we have seen, that we have known God, we've felt God's presence. Down through the years, these Christians have shown us these practices. That's why we've received them and now practice them ourselves. Did you know, notice in the passage that it says, Jacob lays down and uses a stone as a pillow? Do you wonder why they included that detail? It's because in verse 18, which I didn't read, he wakes up, says, surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. And then he takes the stone that he's been using as a pillow and he sets it up and uses it as a pillar. It becomes a monument for anyone who would pass by in the future that this is where Jacob had his vision, where he met God, that surely the Lord is in this place even though I didn't know it. He calls it Bethel, the house of God. And Jacob sets up this common stone that he uses a pillow that now has become something sacred, something meaningful that points to 
the momentous place they're at, this pillar, this monument of something sacred. It's important for us to share our stories of meeting God. It's important for us to have an RPC history room that we get to read about the saints who have gone before us as they tell us their stories of experience the presence of God Their hope, their faith shines in and encourages us in the present moment. It's important for us to have our pillars around, to know that we stand on the shoulders of others and for those that come after us, like our confirmands, that they stand on our shoulders. They carry the faith forward. Back in the mid-2000s when I first moved to the Atlanta area, I was living in Decatur and working in Midtown. And for the first several years I was there, I would take a little detour on my route to work once a week. I would drive down Auburn Avenue and drive by Ebenezer Baptist Church. And I loved doing that because it was a reminder to me that you didn't have to be a gigantic church to make a gigantic difference in the world. It's a small church, not much bigger than our historic sanctuary. Yet it sparked a revolution for love that went worldwide. And as I would drive by, it would remind me, don't worry if you, know, if you think you're not making a difference. You can't do everything, but you can do something. Don't worry if God is hidden right now. God may become manifest later. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Because God sees us and knows us, even if we don't know and see God. After my week of experimenting and testing people's observational abilities, I decided it was time to part it on the right side again. And I came home to my wife. I said, Court, man, I'm so so bummed out. It's been a rough week. I don't think anybody notices me. No one sees, no, no one recognized. And she said, Jeff, why do you think that? I said, well, I did a little experiment this week. And no one noticed, not even you. And I was about to blame her for not noticing either. And she interrupts me. She says, Jeff, I know you're parting your hair differently. I was like, you do? She said, yes, Jeff. I want you to know that even though you don't think we see you, we do. (laughs) Says a lot about my wife. But also says, I think, something about how it is with God. That even if God is hidden, even if we can't see God, we have to trust that God sees us. This is the good news of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the good news that Blaise Pascal was counting on. This is the message of those magic puzzles. Those magic eye puzzles that tell us, even if you can't see it, there's something there. Just because you can't see God doesn't mean God can't see you. The good news is that in Jesus Christ, God has seen us. So when God remains hidden, let us hold on to Christ. Because that is the good news of the Christian gospel. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we do pray that you might encourage us, give us faith through those times where you are hidden from view. Lord, that we might set up, take our pillows and turn them into pillars that they might give encouragement and remind people for those who come after us, encouraging one another in this journey of faith. We thank you. In your name we pray.
You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.